0: Good evening, I'm Alfred Hitchcock. I've tried that, that's probably not a good impression. Hello, welcome back to Don't Slam Your Podcast. I am, as ever, your host, J.D. Collins. Today, I've got a new guest speaking to us about family plot, entitled, named after the final film by the Master of Suspense, Alfred Hitchcock. Today, I'm joined by 2.4 fan, Thomas. Hello, Thomas, how are you today? Hello, I'm very well, how are you? Yeah, I'm really well, thank you. Looking forward to talking about this very funny episode of 2.4 children. I say that every week they're all funny they're all brilliant and it's an episode that you specifically
1: wanted to talk about
0: first so the favourite of yours I'm guessing which is great.
1: Oh absolutely for me this is it's a good episode because it really kind of time capsules what those of us who grew up in the 90s our childhood was like. The opening act of this episode is so many evenings we all spent at home it literally takes me right back to so many evenings at home and then Bill goes off in a completely different direction and makes it glorious. I have to
0: ask, and if you don't mind me,
1: this is a good question, how old are you? So I'm 29 now, so I was of an age where I had some say in the television by the time the last series was coming out, yeah. and I still remember how gutted I was that I missed the last episode. Yeah because we were out doing Millennium Eve things. And so it was years before I managed to actually see it. So oh, wow. That, Gosh, that was a real sadness for me as a child. Well, and weirdly, that was
0: on a half nine, that Millennium experience, which is quite late for 2.4 children. Maybe if it was on a bit early, you might have caught it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just one of those things. I remember looking at the clock We were at my grandparents and I just realised, oh, we've missed 2.4 children. And that is imprinted on my brain as like a millennium memory <laughs> and
0: just before that you would have missed the millennium episode of dinner ladies as well
1: yes um that got repeated a lot more mm. dinner ladies is like always repeated and so i think certainly i'd seen that within like a year or so but 2.4 is quite a few years later yeah
0: okay well we'll go straight into our 2.4 initiation which I do with every new guest. So we know you're 29, so you were born in 91 or 92, I'm guessing? 92. 92. Okay, so you're an early to mid-90s lad, like me. So first question, when did you first discover 2.4 Children?
1: Um, Well, we were like the first house on our street to have Sky, which was such a big deal in the 90s. And so one of the few channels that you were allowed to watch as a child unsupervised was gold because it was only sitcoms and things. It was, you know, nice respectable programming that your parents didn't have to check. And so I wound up watching all the repeated episodes of 2.4 Children on Gold. And then when it comes up in the Radio Times, you would get very excited. There's going to be a new one. And you kind of got this slight strangeness. And this as a child was mind blowing. They look so much older suddenly, you know. Because I was a very small child when I was w- first watching it, and these little things did blow my mind a bit. Absolutely. So you were
0: born in the second year, second series, so you would have been about seven in ninety nine. Yeah. Oh, so you were so, really young when you were watching it then. I was probably on the same age when I eventually saw it because I was I'm ninety five. So yeah, it's a, it's a very weird how these things stay on
1: your mind as a child from a childhood. What's your favourite episode? Oh, that is a hard one. I think quite possibly favourite overall has to be the Christmas with Bill Clinton's computer, relax over. is just amazing. And Rona's trick with the computer is exactly the trick I would pull, and it is still one of my favourite moments, which just goes, I didn't think it would do anything as these three hunky Americans have shown up in just speedos. And I'm like, bravo, Rona. Absolutely, my move. I applaud. The thing that's funny about that episode, we 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 talk about that a lot from previous
0: other guests. But it's a really popular one. It's so ahead of its time. If you look at it now, it's it, you, it, all that hacking and asking it to do things. It's 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 very contemporary.
1: Oh, absolutely. But I think the other thing is, of course, the parents' reaction is so 90s. I can remember my mother's fury when we were using dial-up because what have you children done to my phone? (laughs) And this was a huge source of contention because my mother couldn't comprehend that we needed the internet and the telephone at the same time. And she would go, well, come off it. I need to make a phone call. And we'd be going, no, I'm in the middle of downloading a game or something. And this was like a perennial thing in the 90s. And... I'm very conscious the younger generations will never experience that, which probably isn't a bad thing, but you know what? it was integral.
0: I can relate because I was, oh God, I'm trying to think now, I started using the internet more in around 2006 when I started, when I went to high school and you kind of need it more for homework. And yeah, we were the same. And also we had a wire connected to um, the internet, which was in a socket in the kitchen and the computer was in my brother's room at the, the upstairs so we had to like get a wire from his room down the step well down the banister and then just kind of put over the kitchen door and then into the socket in the
1: kitchen it, oh it's a nightmare <laughs> the things we did to get online and nowadays you can be sat in a cafe on an ipad with wi-fi oh the changes geez. we've seen we're old
0: yeah it, uh, do you know what I, I feel i'm more connected to 90s kids or people who were born in the 80s more than kids even born just a couple of years after me because they they grew up with certain technology that I'm just like mind blown because my first phone was a Nokia 360 which was crap um, in comparison to the smartphones you get today it just just goes to show how much has changed
1: but they were indestructible and the battery lasted forever I love That's them for true. That.
0: they were very good no apps you play snakes there's no internet on them
1: and God. you were on pay as you go at 10p a text and therefore a decent conversation with your friend would get you through an entire week's worth of credit on your pocket money.
0: Oh gosh, it's happy memories for us both.
1: <laughs> What's your
0: favourite series?
1: I think it's got to be kind of around sort of series four and five where it found its pattern mm. and you know there's not really any so-so episodes, every episode is just pure decent hit. And I I think it didn't really start to show any signs of decline until that last series when there's just one or two little bits where it's not as funny. Um, Do you mind me asking what those little bits are? I think it's just there are little bits in the last ones where it starts to go into the kind of my family level of jokes rather than the 2.4 children level. Because at its peak, 2.4 children was a much cleverer show. And it had much more complex writing. It had much more complex jokes. Mm. You know, there was something almost intellectual about a lot of the references and things. And then I think it's perhaps as tastes were changing, they were probably ordered by someone in the BBC to, you know, ease off a little bit on the super clever stuff and start to play a bit more to the peanut gallery. It's interesting because obviously Andrew Marshall carried on writing it throughout except for maybe a couple
0: of episodes in Series 7. But that last series was actually directed by Dewey Humphrey, who directed a lot of My Family episodes. You know, it, 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 it's really interesting how um, decision-making is is made on, sometimes imposed on people. Because And I've, I've, I've heard this from loads of different writers who've written different shows, whether it's, as you say, the, 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 the top end of the BBC or directors or something. So, yeah, it's interesting, actually, um, that you mentioned that. Although I still think that
1: last season is better than not my family, not even the best of my family. Well, I'd agree with you there. I mean, it says a lot that the lowest ebb of 2.4 children was better than the best of my family. It says a I lot, isn't it? Better. But I think it's also interesting what happened with sitcoms because they got posher sort of from sort of the 80s and 90s when you had a lot of sitcoms with sort of working class families, you know, Bill and Ben Porter are a blue-collar family, as it says in the episode where they might be on a sitcom. And you that was not, not the only show like that. You had things like Bread, which, again, very working-class family. And then by the time you get to the My Family era, everything stepped up a bit. You know, like the Harpers were clearly a lot better off than the Porters were. Yeah. And nowadays, of course, you have... Things like Miranda, who is mega posh. It's it's an interesting trajectory. The BBC have kind of moved away from what was actually most of their really big hit comedies. You know, you watch shows like Birds of a Feather, so much of the humour is working class humour. Only Falls and
0: Horses, that's the biggest sitcom I've ever made. Mm. Um, Yeah, it it definitely was a shift in that time. Um, And Bake, what you've said about the called to be in Blue Collar. It's very interesting, some of the things in this episode that I was going to raise the point, so we'll, we'll get onto those later. Who's your favourite character?
1: I think it's got to be Rona, because for me, she represents this kind of way of living and actually really being yourself, enjoying your life. She lives on her own terms. She is very positive. She is there for the family when they need her in the way of, like... She's an aunt, really. And I think certainly when I was a child, somebody in the position that is in with the family, you'd have called auntie. Yeah. Which I think has largely died out now as a custom. But she is that figure for the family. And she, at the same time, is living this really fun life. You know, she's got a house, she's got an income, she does exactly what she wants. You know, she's got a cocktail named after her in Brief Encounters. That suggests she's doing something right. I may disagree with myself in 20 years' time. But at the moment, I'm like, that is the height of achievement, surely.
0: Yeah. It's, it, she's a, and she's a complex as well. I mean, I had Judy Hills on recently. And I kind of, when I was listing all the things that Rona goes through, again, my family, it, she would just be the kind of archetypal neighbour who sleeps around no depth Mm. but she's given so much to do in 2.4 children
1: that's it she is a brilliant character and she's well played i think definitely and but also the writing was good so you have this complexity and like watching family plot you can see all these little details that feed into the longer narrative of rona and tony it's it's brilliant when you actually I've seen everything enough that you can spot all these little details. They did some work on that show. Oh god! I, I, as I watch more carefully for
0: these podcasts, I, I really appreciate the detail more than I, well more than you do as a sort of just a casual viewer just watching it. You kind of you take it you take it in, but you really have to concentrate because I wanted to every little detail. Um, so it's 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 again really impressed by it. So final two questions around the initiation
1: are firstly, do you think the show's aged well? I think the jokes have aged surprisingly well, particularly for a comedy. A lot of comedies, the jokes seem very stale very quickly. You know, you try and watch a lot of comedies from the 70s and 80s, they're not really funny anymore. No. And some of the jokes are more making you tug at your collar than laugh. Whereas children has aged well and yes, it is very nineties in many respects, you know, as with any show that is set in its own time period, it just reflects when it was made, you know, there are plot points around core telephones and call boxes and all the rest of it, you know, things that have gone by the wayside, but the actual humour, you can still have a good laugh at 2.4 children now.
0: Yeah. I, I, Go back to the point I always make, which is "Faulty Towers" is really dated. I think it's very obviously seventies, but it's still funny. And I think you can be forever saying it. You can be of your time and and, and of all time. Absolutely. That's the test of a good show. And finally, why do you think it's been forgotten about over the years?
1: Well, I have been pondering this because I've been listening to the other episodes so I knew this was coming, and. I was thinking about it, and there's two factors. One is the lack of repeats. I think if it was, you know, on Netflix, on BritBox, it would be better remembered for the simple reason more people would see it. I mean, you've seen this effect with Friends. For ages, it wasn't on the streaming services. As soon as it comes onto Netflix, boom, there's a reunion special. And I think you would see a similar effect for 2.4 children on the British scale, not the American scale. But the other thing is, and this is something I've thought hard about. When you look at a lot of the other sitcoms of that era that are remembered, they all had a particularly famous television actor or actress. Everyone in 2.4 children, they're a very well chosen ensemble, they act it well, but most of their careers outside of it have either been in theater or things that haven't been remembered as well. Whereas when you look at other shows of the era, like say, Good Night, Sweetheart is essentially Nicholas Lindhurst's show. You've got The Vicar of Dibley, that is Dawn French's show. You've got Ab Fab, that's, again, Jennifer Saunders, Joanna Lumley, it's their show. And even my family, you know, Zoe Wanamaker and Robert Lindsay are sizable celebrities in a way that Belinda Lang and Gary Olsen aren't. And I'm very conscious I've looked it up, you know, what Belinda Lang's been doing. And she's clearly a very much a theatrical actress these days. But I'm not going to lie, I can completely appreciate that if you're an actress, that must be a lot more fulfilling because you're doing a lot more performing. And if that is the thing you really enjoy, then the stage is a lot more fulfilling than television. So I completely understand, but it does mean that she is greatly underappreciated as a talented actress.
0: I think it's a, that's a good point you make, because that, that she has done mostly theatre since it ended, or majority mostly theatre you know it has sort of she hasn't been as as prominent in the mainstream as she was in the 90s and in the 80s well with something like dear john and i agree i think she for me bill's one of the most underrated british character, sitcom characters ever in my opinion i think she's i think she's up there with some of the greats um she's just she's just so different and i think
1: belinda lang is makes that character don't get me wrong if i saw that she was doing, say. Madame Arcati in Blythe Spirit, I am watching that on the stage. If she is playing Lady Bracknell in The Importance of Being Earnest, I'm totally gonna to go see it. But we also could do with her making her return to television in a regular roles because she's far too talented to not be on film more. I
0: think. I completely agree. Um, she's up there with the, with the greats, in my opinion. Well, thank you very much, Thomas. That is your initiation, son. You are on to the next level. So, before we get into the review for Family Plot, we go from the master of suspense to the master of suburban surrealism. Take it away, Andrew Marshall.
1: Now we're up to series four, episode two, which is called Family Plot. Named after Alfred Hitchcock's final movie. I remember a very, very long night shoot in this, while we were doing, you know, things shenanigans around the postbox outside the uh, location porterhouse, including um, suspending a tiny little dog from a string at one point. I just want to assure everybody that the, the little dog wasn't harmed in any way. <clears throat> it was only <clears throat> on the string for a moment or two, and um, it, it found it actually quite fun and was, was very happy afterwards so please don't worry about that um, I think that's all uh, here it is and let's see what you make of it
0: What you mentioned before is very interesting uh, watching the show now, this particular episode it does throw so many 90s references or so many 90s way of living, you know the fact that they sat around a table eating dinner I just don't know any sitcom that does would do that now
1: that's very true. I mean, that is the opening sequence. And I remember that so much from my childhood. You sat down to dinner. You did not get down until everyone had finished, even though. And I love the little detail that there's a load of junk at one end of the table in that scene, which, you know, is such a normal family house type of thing. that you know, it's clear the table. Oh, I can't be bothered. Well, at least clear enough room for us all. And. You know, Jenny is complaining that David's taking long, and that's a very little brother thing, isn't it? He's clearly doing that to wind her up. That and bit it's when, fun. yeah, that bit when he's
0: got when he's just like putting the the um, I think it's is it custard to have in or it must yes. be like a crumble something in, like and then he's going, mm, you know, he's just doing it on purpose to annoy her. And as like you say, it's very um, much a little brother thing, very relatable. I love their talk about chips, about certain shaped chips.
1: Yeah, that's another really 90s thing because oven chips and they had to be crinkle cut or, you know, one of the other fashionable cuts. There was a real, as daft as this may sound, at the time, there was almost a chip snobbery going on and they had to be oven chips. And I'm really conscious that now we'd be going, wait, Bill has made chips from scratch for the family. Yeah. Like not as a special thing, just normal dinner, She has gone to the trouble. She's peeled potatoes, cut them up into chip shapes, fried them and served them enough for the whole family on the stove, presumably, as I don't think they had a deep fat fryer.
0: Yeah, I think it's very much Bill's era, because if I think of my parents who were probably around the same age as Bill and Ben, um, I think the majority of my childhood was always oven chips or chippy chips from the fish and chip shop but generally speaking like now my dad has got a deep fat fryer or oh, he's done it like under you know cooked and, and peeled potatoes because that's how people used to do them that's how my nana my nana used to make the best chips that's how she did it she never bought i don't think my grandma's ever bought oven chips it's interesting isn't yeah. it how things change and,
1: yeah and you see a lot of like chip pan jokes in sort of the 70s and 80s and then by the 90s, they're dying off as everyone switched to oven chips. Yeah. Whereas, you know, they were horribly dangerous things because you're frying oil at home without a proper temperature control. It is inherently dangerous, which is why a lot of people stop doing it because of the sheer number of times they set the kitchen on fire. Yeah.
0: Um, it's lo- loads of flames. That's why I've heard it's just like this fire everywhere. It's almost like you're in a restaurant. a chef. Sure. Um, I like the way that she asks Ben for his opinion, and she's like, "What do you think? Delicious, see? Your father's got no complaints." You know, she's just trying to feed him some a compliment or something to say, so he's on her side.
1: Again, you know, it's very family. He's sat there, not really paying any attention, but yes, dear, of course, dear. Yeah, she uh, she runs the family, doesn't she? Absolutely, working class matriarch. She is yeah. that archetype.
0: Yeah, she feels underappreciated as well. You know, it's like when she pushes the bowls to Ben, when he says he'll tidy up, you know, she's just like going, oh, yeah, can, can you just make that, here's the hint, can you just do it? And then he says, oh, I'll, I'll do that. And, and, but she ends up clearing up because he's not going to do it. He might do it eventually. I'm, I'm one of those people who says, I'm sure people will do it, but some people just want to sit down, let their food settle, and then take it away. I
1: mean, yes, that's true. But also I think it kind of reflects in a way the weird way gender dynamics were changing at the time. Mm. Because obviously in the 60s, you had the housewife and she did all these things and the man just came home and sat down. And between the 60s and now, we transitioned from that to the idea that both parents are working probably full time because economic necessity means most families they have to. And at the point we are at in the 90s, there was this weird thing where the woman would have a job but she would usually be expected to do less hours than the man and do all the housework. So you had kind of, the man is basically still in the 60s and the woman is nearly at the present. And I knew a lot of families where that was the dynamic. You know, there were loads of mums that were school dinner ladies or worked in a shop or something and then rushed home to put tea on. And it had to be a proper scratch made meal, otherwise the other mothers in the playground would talk about them. Oh my goodness, so I just,
0: it's like Motherland, like the new series Motherland. It really is like that. I mean, with Bill, obviously she had the bakery in the first series, then she's done like bits and jobs since then, and now she's to build this. At this point, the kitchen's being done so they can build their catering business. But even then, I don't feel she's quite serene. She's not like those housewives who says, oh, I'm going to be doing this now. She's quite like, just gets on with it, I think. She wants she she feeds them and wants to
1: appreciate it, but that's the ultimate thing. She wants it to be appreciated. Oh, absolutely and i think she is very representative of a lot of women who don't want to be a housewife but in that era they were still expected to be a housewife so they just cracked on and did it and you compare that with somebody like tina who is proud to be a housewife that is her role in life and she is fulfilled in that role I mean, in the first time you see Tina, she makes that comment about there are men out of work. How can you be working? And you're like, wow, what era are you from? But actually there were still people like that in the 90s. These housewives that were very traditional. It hadn't quite died out yet. I think of Butterflies as
0: the kind of precursor to 2.4 children in some ways. Obviously that's more about the rear character and her wanting more than what she's found herself in and and then considering 2.4 children's only like 15 years later this it's shifted but there's that still just you know just sort of going out just a little bit more I love the sibling right sibling interaction in this one especially when Jenny's watching the tv and David's listening to loud music on his headphones and they're just arguing and so Bill makes noises in the kitchen to avoid them hearing she's just in that moment she's like I don't want to know just argue just sort of kill, kill each other
1: Yeah, and I remember so many evenings like that in my childhood. I was so often plugged into the stereo with headphones on while my sister is sat watching the television. And we'd both complain we could hear the other's thing. Well, of course you can, you're in the same room and you're both using devices that make noise. But you would argue all evening, I can hear your music, I can hear your telly. And this was very normal. Because most families did have a big stereo and a television in the same room. Yeah. You know, this was before most of us had any kind of portable player. If you were a child, you know, they were very expensive still. I can remember getting my first CD player and wow, that was a thing. Yeah. And so most of the time, if you wanted to listen to music, you had to use the big stereo. And then, and the headphones back then just weren't;
0: it just didn't keep in the sound. It was so obvious, it was so loud and stuff. It's just, it's amazing. Again, technology's gone long so away, so far. I love the set with the kitchen. It looks like it does look like a kitchen that's being redone. The the walls the, with with paper down. It's just it's brown and 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 it's you can ju- it's really well well done, um, and looks you know you can te- you can get the frustration because it does look a mess. It looks like it was in the previous episode. I love it when Ben says, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day and
1: Bill replies, well, they must have had our builders. Yeah. So when you watch this episode with the kitchen being redone, you can see it's clearly not progressing at all. And I'm pretty sure they literally just left the set like that for episode after episode. And then it's interesting. There is a lot in this series about the house itself it almost becomes a character in some ways with the kitchen and in this episode with the electrics. And then later on, of course, you've got the fire, spoiler alert. Um, You know, it's very much a character in its own right. And I think that's part of why it was so popular at the time. Because of course that is the most common type of house in this country. You know, the standard Victorian terraced house. Most people will live in one at some point in their lives. And to this day, they're one of the most popular types of houses that people actually want to live in. And also the
0: whole idea of builders taking a long time is something that a lot of people can relate to even now. It's it's and the whole Rome wasn't built in a day is a, is afraid you hear all the time as an excuse for things taking a long time. So Bill, that just doesn't wash over Bill. She's just like, well, we must find our builders they're
1: slow. Yeah. And again. From her point of view, you completely get it, because I want my kitchen, please. I want to start my business. I want to get my life going. And also, I can't even cook dinner without plaster dust falling in the pot. So I'm very fed up now. She's very impatient. That's what I love about her. She just wants everything. She's very much, she'll just do everything.
0: She would just do everything her own way. I think it was in the last episode, she said something, I'm paraphrasing here. She said something like, in the next life, I want it the other way, um, designer babies and
1: oh, I forgot what the line is now. In, oh, I remember it was in the next life. I'm going to do it the other way around. A natural kitchen and designer babies. Yeah. And then that
0: would make it all quicker. And so one, one of the things I love is Bill showing herself being out of touch with the generation, which is a thing a lot of parents can recognize. So when she sits amongst Jenny and David and I'm assuming Jenny's watching Top of the Pops. Or some music I program. assume
1: that as well. It's, yeah. It was just what teenagers watched at the time, yeah. if they were into popular music, which most were. And it was kind of a staple. And it's weird because Top of the Pops was on for so long that probably teenage Bill watched yeah. it, and now Jenny's watching it, and yet there is still not that cross connection between them because it's too different.
0: I mean, bear in mind, Bill would have watched it when Jimmy Savile was hosting. So, you know, in a very different, very <laughs> so, different. So, so yeah, that's it. But then I think as well, the music's going to go over Bill's head. So when she says, Who's this? and, and um, Jenny says, Oh, it's Chakademus and Pliers. You know, and then Bill just finds the Pliers name really funny. And do you know what? I know their songs. It's only when I did a Google search, like, Oh, it's them. I thought they were made up for so long, and obviously, if you hear the TV, it's "Murder She Wrote," the song "Murder She Wrote" they sung, which they were really oh, quite right. popular in the beginning. I think it's—I think it's that song. Certainly one of theirs. But then um, when feels like, but which one's? highest? you know, she just laughs, finds it
1: funny. I think it is. It's interesting. She has a thing with nicknames because that comes up elsewhere in the series as well. Like when she's laughing about Spin, boyfriend, you know. Yeah. A lot of nicknames are stupid when you're a teenager,
0: and she's very much like in the middle of an award between Jenny and David. You know, David's Jenny David's being annoying by singing out loud. He knows what he's doing, and then when Bill returns to the kitchen and bends to the radio, it's a great interaction here. This is one of those great comedy moments where. Um, She's saying something, he's reacting, and it sounds like he's responding to her, but it's actually him saying something else. I think it's done in One From the Grave as well when um, Mrs. Warboy says something while Victor's listening to some music, and she says, I'm going to kill myself, and he laughs out loud (laughs) at the wrong moment because of what he's listening to. So Ben just keeps saying yes um, to Bill's questions. What will they do when they grow up? At least we can have a normal conversation. I'm just talking to myself, aren't I? And then Ben goes, yes, yes! And he's happy because he's just there's a goal scored on the football. And
1: then so they're they're just, yeah, they're all in their own world. It's one of those scenes which is a staple of comedy, but it requires good acting because you've got to get the timing exactly right to do that scene well. Because Gary Olsen is so good, he's just so in the
0: moment. He really is someone who's zoned out on the football, on the radio, and that's why you know, they work so well together, their chemistry is brilliant, that she's able to know that he's not actually listening and he plays it so well. The power goes out, radio, TV and stereo go out. So they're in their um, cellar. Ben's looking for a fuse wire. Um, and, you know, if it got smashed, they'd have to do it without technical stuff until the following day. Bill eventually finds the fuse wire, puts it in an envelope, writes the address to herself and then goes outside and puts it in the letterbox. And I love it when... Um, he says, "You know, if we can't find it, we'll be without power." She's just like, "How long for?" And you can just see the, the ticking in her mind. That's what's so good about. I mean, I know it sounds like I'm I'm always saying, "Oh, they're good actors." That's obviously what they're going to do. But they, it really goes to show just how well some people why some people make it to TV and because it's the, that's like the big thing. Because they just you can see the thoughts in their
1: mind and on their face. It's amazing. I love that whole sequence. I went down a serious nerd hole of like looking up the electrical things because, of course, I did. And it was... This was a problem in older houses. And when you run the dates, you figure the porters probably bought the house in the 70s with maybe 60s wiring. So, yeah, this desperately needs to be replaced. And Bill makes a comment about, oh, it's a bit of toilet. Well, that's because fuses used to be made of ceramic. And... Also, there's the little throwaway line of does it say empire fuse wire three and eleven? So, you know, it's pre-decimal fuse wire. It's very From intelligent pre- writing. It's very, I mean,
0: you know, Andrew Marshall just knows about the world. And 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 I and that's something that's missing in a lot of TV in general. And certainly in my family, you don't get again that much detail about things that people could relate to even if it was of a certain time. And obviously now that's almost ancient. I, I, I don't understand how, I mean, I don't understand how electricity works anyway, but it's not that in my house. I know it's
1: not that. But um, well, yeah, I mean, this is a plot point that everyone else has got circuit breakers. Why haven't we been done? And that was the thing that was being done at that time, the switch over from one to the other. And most people would have had their house ripped to bits at some point by electricians which I figure is how later on Jenny and David know what Rona's got in terms of her electric box, because it probably happened when they could remember and Rona was popping over all the time because she had no electric for two weeks. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, this is a sitcom where normal stuff happens. How many shows on television show you somebody doing the ironing? I've always thought this, and and that is when
0: Bill's doing the ironing and she's trying to have a conversation... And then going back to my yeah, you're absolutely right. And but 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 with the TV on, it's my parents. Well, I, I ironed everything. They ironed everything, but would watch TV. My mum used to do that. She used to just walk iron and and catch up on her shows. And it's real.
1: This is it. It is beautifully observed. You could have gone into some of those houses on that street and found a similar scene, to the domestic scenes of 2.4 children playing out in real life absolutely and
0: going back to what you said about them being maybe the last family to get all the the up-to-date electrical stuff we learn later on that they were the last family in the street to get a microwave because yes and i think bill said something like i didn't i just don't see how you can cook something in a small little thing compared to another i
1: can't i can't remember the line but yeah oh, you know, go, was... to show. go on I go can't... on you know that <laughs> She goes. I just didn't see how a lamb chop could be cooked by radio waves. <laughs>
0: that's it. That's it. Yeah, brilliant. You just go to the show oh they, they are. They are. They're that typical family where there's the last to have everything.
1: Yeah, and I think there was always that family in every neighbourhood that were the last ones to have everything. Just as there was that family that was the first to have everything. Yeah, you were the first to have sky, and we had the first computer in the street. I I can remember actually. When I was at school, I went on, like, the MI5 website, which, you know, this is the 90s. It was incredibly basic. And the next day, the entire school was convinced I was either about to turn into James Bond or be arrested.
0: <laughs> that's funny. <laughs>
1: because nobody else understood what the internet was. Yeah,
0: that's funny. I that, that can relax over Yeah, my, my nana was the first in a, fam, in, a, in a street to get a TV in the 19, in 1952. So the whole street went to her house to watch the Queen's coronation. Just those little, de- I just love details like that. And hearing about the past,
1: yeah, and you get that slightly later on in the episode when they're sat there talking, and he goes, "What did people do before they argued over four channels?" I remember that we argued over two.
0: Yeah. It's it's a really great bit of observation in this episode. I mean, I, I read um, an interview with uh, Andrew Marshall from the Radio Times in '98, where he he had was interviewed about how the show came about, and he talked about memories of childhood and people's memories of childhood. And in um, when the children are asleep, the one where they think the next door has been burgled, there's great dialogue between Bill and Ben about TV, about, you know, their childhoods. And it does spill on t- over here and, and actually leads in well to the next bit. So they're in the living room. Bill suggests they spend an old-fashioned family evening together just talking to each other. And the way they all just glare
1: at her, just like, what are you, on? <laughs> That's it, and I totally get what Bill is doing here, and I think you can almost, it's a thing, when you were a child watching this, what Bill does is evil. When you're an adult watching this, you are on Bill's side 100%, because that family will remember that evening. They won't remember the hundred others where everything electrical worked normally and they watched Top Gear listen to music and Ben was in the kitchen listening to football. They will remember the evening the power went out and Dad electrocuted himself. That is a memory evening. And Bill does give them what she actually wanted to give them, which is proper memories of their childhood. And for when she's older and they've left the house, she will have some nice memories of her family. That's it. And I think parents
0: like to sort of tell people about their kids and what they're like when they're younger. And I think... The way she is interacting with Jenny and David in this particular scene when they're just sitting in silent is is reflective of that. So when um well actually she turns to Ben and, ben and says, you know, how was work? You know, did, did Christine say something funny? You know, because she does sometimes she can be very funny. Elaine oh, says to David, So tell us about the girls in the class. You know, are they after you? They think you're a bit of a know. you know, <laughs> and she just it's does awkward. she's just an embarrassing mum. It's funny.
1: Particularly with David, that is you can almost feel your childhood self cringe at the awkwardness because I'm sure most of us had parents that said stuff like that at some point and you're just like no yeah. absolutely David's don't talk
0: about um like, please you know I like that please because I love the way that the kids feel like and again in other sitcoms kids are very one-dimensional they just react in every way whereas david in just this episode can go from being cheeky to being serious to being embarrassed and it's just and that's like normal that we all feel that way she asks jenny how things are with clive and they she brings up the incident with the cockroaches from the previous episode you know and is... Is she won't leave it she won't leave it
1: Oh, no, that is absolutely a thing you're going to bring up for the next 20 years. Do you remember that time you went to meet my first proper boyfriend and brought round the box of cockroaches, mother? Yeah, That was 20 years ago. It was a box of cockroaches. Never goes and, away. No, absolutely not. And I love the fact that you have some decent continuity in this series. Same. So they yeah. do make those callbacks to earlier episodes, whereas a lot of shows they do the Simpsons thing of like reset back to normal every episode. Absolutely. And
0: it's it's that's not funny. funny. It's, it is. It feels like, a re- I say it's real and they, people do refer to the past. That's what a lot of us like do. It's the way we get through the, the present to the future. Ben talks about Top Gear. I think, do you know what's so funny? I obviously Top Gear has been around for donkey's years. And yet the funny thing is I, I was reading up about it. It started in 1977 Ended in December 2001, but was um, re-done, well, rebooted, in October 2002, but it was considered a rebooted series, even though it hadn't been off the air for 10 months, so it's technically been on consistently for 40-odd years, nearly 50.
1: Well, I mean, cars are a popular topic, and of course, the BBC has always kind of used this fig leaf of, well, of course, it also helps people who need to know what car to buy. And that is our excuse for mucking about with a load of cars in Yorkshire. Jenny's line absolutely kills me and her Jeremy Clarkson impression, I cannot do it, I wish I could. That is one of the most beautifully acted moments in the whole episode. Ooh, I think
0: I'm having an orgasm. Ooh, it's got twin cams.
1: It's brilliant. And it's funny because
0: just this last couple of days, we've been watching the new Clarkson series on Amazon Prime about farming. And it's just weird because, you know... Even now, it's been, what, five, six years since he was fired from Top Gear. But that's how I always think of him. I just always think, oh, Top Gear, Richard, um, Jeremy Clarkson, Richard Hammond, and The Sting and everything. You know, it just goes to show how much, even then, he was still a figure on TV and well-known enough to be mentioned in a a popular comedy. I love the way Ben says about the comedy on his one. Nah, they're all
1: terrible. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I... Wish I'd looked it up because I feel like they were probably directly referencing their own time slot. I feel like they would have done that. Probably. And also, let's be honest, back then it was amazing.
0: It's, not, it's terrible now. It's non-existent now.
1: But equally, I remember people at the time were saying, oh, there's nothing good on the television nowadays. In my day. Actually, you know it- what? I maintain it. People are so fixated in the past,
0: whereas now there is really nothing now. There's some good stuff, but there really is little now
1: compared to years ago. Um, yeah. Very little actual proper sitcom. And I was thinking about, you know, what are the modern equivalents of 2.4 Children? And most of the good comedies now are these kind of adult cartoons. Mm. You know, you watch a show like, say, Bob's Burgers, and that is a working class family and their normal life. Mm and all the weird stuff that happens to a family. And I think in some ways that is kind of the closest show. And then the other one I was reminded of was Bojack Horseman, where he was a sitcom actor in the nineties and in the noughties or tens rather, he is a cartoon character. Yeah. And now
0: I think there's also like a growing number of, of sitcoms that are very adult sitcoms, but they're quite sad as well things like Fleabag um catastrophe um I'm trying to think of others mum they're just they're not mainstream but they're kind of they've got a very niche audience we're missing mainstream prime time for, for families because for all i we say about my family that was probably the last sitcom i can think of that was because that was the sitcom i grew up with when it was on mm. it was on friday nights half past eight i watched it with my family it was on for 10 years uh, it did its job. In, in, in success terms, it did its job. Um, obviously, quality-wise, I, I think it was very inconsistent compared to 2.4, but at the very least, it was the last one to
1: have that kind of mainstream appeal. That's it. And you compare that to what the schedules would have been in, say, the early 90s, where there was a decent slew of good sitcoms. 2.4. Enough that you could actually watch one most evenings. Waiting for God, to for feather, keeping up appearances, pick a dippy, one from the
0: grave, one of my nice sweetheart, blah, blah. Yeah, it goes on forever. It was, it was, it was, you know, in a good good company. And I love the fact they've got a portable telly and David wanted to watch game masters on it. Again, another nostalgia there. Um, and as you say, going back to what you said before, you know, there's the question of you know, what were we doing before we could argue over four channels, we used to argue over two. Again, another thing going back to what I said earlier about what. Uh, Marshall about childhood memories, whenever I live, talk to people, my, grand, my parents' generation, my grandparents' generation, especially people who remember television in the be- very beginning, you know, he, Ben's next bit of dialogue is really, rings true, the way he says, you know, one channel there would be total biles, the other side had blokes dressed in general jackets talking Ponzi. if anyone came round, we'd have to pretend we were watching AJP Taylor, but if they're they from our time, we were back to Michael Myers. And that's what i I've told. BBC was very upper class, very, you know, very highbrow. And mm. then ITV was more working class, a bit more down to earth. And, you know, did you ever see that clip that went around last year? I think the BBC pointed out, it was from 1978. It was about, I think it was about the history of TV. It's so a lady, an East End lady, who was stopped in the street to ask about her memory of television. And she spoke for about seven minutes about the, and she'd say things like, oh, we, you know, it was the conversation, you know, the, the ballet was interesting, but then we also liked the, the stuff on the game shows. And I'm just like, that is literally like these conversations you hear in this and when the children are asleep.
1: Very true. And it's interesting Ben specifically references AJP Taylor, who is one of the great 20th century historians. I mean, if you read his books now, they are still authoritative works. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gives you a reminder that actually, yes, the BBC really was producing not just good shows, but the top end, really intelligent, brilliant programming in a way that, let's be honest, there probably isn't anything like that being produced at present. Nothing is pitched to that highbrower level. And it's very sad.
0: I think the thing as well back then, because of before this sort of satellite was in, you know, you had the, the main channels and it had to encompass everything. Nowadays, we've got not only sky and satellite, but we've also got these streaming services and varying streaming services for all kinds of genre, really. I mean, the modern equivalent of these conversations now would be arguing what to watch on Netflix. And the thing about that is, you know, we talk forever about, you know, the BBC and what they produce. And I think the big, the big thing at the moment is, well, there's just so much more competition than there was even in the 90s. And I think this is the last time before things really been, before Channel 5 came along, before digital. This was probably the last more, most traditional era of TV, early 90s.
1: Yeah, and your lives were slightly governed by TV in a way. You know, if you wanted to watch your favorite program, you had to have its time memorized. And you notice they've all got that. They mm. know what's on the television that evening and what they're missing just yeah. by glancing at the clock. Yeah. Because you had to know that if you actually wanted to follow anything. Oh, I loved, I remember uh,
0: the TV magazine. I used to just love every Saturday you get the TV. Not the Radio Times, it was, it was, a, it was another one. Radio Times, you only get, we only get that at Christmas. I still only get that at Christmas. But the TV magazine, and you just went through what it is you wanted to watch. Um, nowadays, I just just look online and oh, if I miss something, it'll be on catch-up. It's, it's, it is just so different. And the next bit, when Bill is discussing about the Victorian era, I think is the most interesting when it comes to their social class. You know, the, you know, the Victorians didn't have anything transmitted to them. But, but then David comes back with great comments like, well, they had rickets, but some of them had transmitted something as well. I'm like, very clever. You know, they had evenings at home, poetry evenings, musical evenings. Do you notice that Bill's voice turns very posh at that moment?
1: Absolutely. And that in itself is a reminder of this kind of consciousness that a lot of people have that oh, actually we could be a little bit better. you know, and We aren't quite as bad as our neighbours. We're a little bit above them, And you can almost hear it from coming out of Bill's childhood. that I also I say. love the fact that you've got David making a smutty joke when he was so awkward before. Yeah. That's very well observed. But then you get Ben's little rant about, not for the likes of us. Yeah, And it's just very much i don't know why but a lot of men of that generation are much more class conscious than the women
0: yeah i've, I've noticed that because i think i can believe bet because there are times bet can turn quite posh in some ways or um, even like aunt, aunt bell you know when she's on the window ledge of the on the black, black tower block and she says you know if they get find me here they'll put me into a home or like when she plays um, Nana in Royal Family, she says at one point to a character called Twiggy, you know, Twiggy, I've never been on an aeroplane. And I think, I can think of my grandmothers were times when they, I mean, they're not, they're quite, well, one, one, one of my grandmas is from Birkenhead. We never mentioned that. But, you know, and, and yet sometimes she'll sort of speak a little bit posh. And my other Nana from Chester, but um, not the nice end of Chester from, from originally from the, more working class of protester she would be quiet she sometimes talked a little bit more posh and i think it is a class thing and then you say ben she says you know not like us this time of the evening if this were victorian times i'd be down the sewers all day you and jen would have been down the mill and Dave will be stripped to his shorts stuffed up a chimney which jenny says the girls in the class would like we've come home at midnight we would got down a dead go- de- a dead dog then go upstairs and cough up blood until daybreak it was misery you know and i think you're like this is an interesting thing. You know, if you speak to critics, oh, sorry, if you read critics now about 2.4 Children, it's a very middle-class sitcom, very My Family. Now, I know it's Chiswick, and I know that one of our guests previously said that
1: they probably wouldn't have lived in a house like it, but I don't know London prices. I'm northern. Well, the thing is, you have to remember, we are talking about 30 years ago, and the yeah. bought their house 20 years before that. And... When they bought their house, people weren't moving into London. People were fleeing London in droves, moving to places like Milton Keynes, you know, the new towns. And that had been constant since the end of the war. There was a big push and London's population fell fairly consistently until the 80s. So in the 90s, you could still actually buy a normal family house in London and Chiswick when it was built, it was a very working-class neighbourhood. Interesting. Nowadays, it's a bit more middle-class, but that is because of the gentrification of London and the way that a normal house elsewhere is a posh house in London because the property prices have gone silly. And yeah. so yeah. like Bill and Ben, if they were still in that house now, could probably sell it and move into something a bit palatial up north, should they so desire.
0: Yeah. Because I sort of see the portals always as being, they've always, sometimes they're doing quite well, but only if they're sustaining their business. Both got businesses. If they're both doing well, they're doing really well. If they're not, then they've got financial problems. You know, outnumbered, which was sort of the family that call kind of the later 2010s, later 2000s, early 2010s, they had money troubles. They were more middle class, definitely more middle class. And yet, you know, with, with 2.4 children, it felt a bit more, more of a crunch if they had issues. I think the way I look at them is they're not quite as working class as say the royal family, but they're nowhere near, I, I see the Harper family in my family as being champagne socialists, let's be honest. They live in a house that's like a magazine cover, a magazine home. Um, so I think I, I, I've always seen them as quite working class and blue collar. They're not like middle class, like the, um, the, the critics think.
1: Mm. to use a phrase of more recent vintage um they're just about managing which was one of theresa may's phrases and i think that is exactly where they are in the social spectrum if everything's going well they can just about be at the bottom end of middle class anything goes wrong they are well down into the working class i mean in the first series you've got bill is claiming benefits yeah and that is very honest to that kind of social fluidity for what is the bulk of families in the united kingdom
0: yeah and then like if you think of the last series that we've just done they went to florida because i had i actually had my dad on that episode and he was mentioning as well like then you know back in the early 90s that was just around the time that people were starting to go on holiday you know a bit more to beyond sort of spain and, and, and europe going sort of out there but then in christmas special 96 two years before the mass they've got they're struggling at Christmas. The money they've got for their Christmas pies isn't going to come in until after Christmas. And then they get boarded on, they go straight on the Yoriana. So it, it is that balance. And, you know, I, I think it's, it's, again, it's those little details that are missing in, in the retrospectives today. And I just love this next bit when they suggest playing a game. That's like the worst thing that people, that kids don't want to hear. No, let's not play a game. So they play It gave us a clue. And I just love the way that they just they just the, the energy in the actors so she you know bill just goes and gets a piece of paper gives them all one they've all got a pen they're all going to write something down she goes get think of a title not on some, a television program and they just like scribble out or a film that's been on television scribble out and then just the, the 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 toing and throwing of the dialogue is wonderful like Bill saying you yeah, know that was a title of the book like that guy i don't like um and he lists all these things he, oh john thor i'm like john thor he's amazing <laughs> He's good but also,
1: the, the leaps he's made in that sequence—you follow it through. There is no logic at all. You can tell he's just thinking aloud. Yeah. The other thing I love in that is they all turned down charades and said yes to give us a clue. I cannot think of any actual difference between those two games.
0: I was going to say the same thing. It's it's the same ridiculous. thing. You have to do a mind. You have to do. You have to like do. You know, book, book, TV show, fourth word. That you know, it's it's all the same thing. Now, what do you think is the title that Bill wrote down and Jenny just a hobble over? Ben, I know David thinks it's called The Tart with the
1: Rabies. <laughs> I mean, I will admit I wrote it down and I had a proper look at this. And so I've got two guesses. One is The Wind in the Willows and the other is The Phantom of the Opera. With Jenny's mime, I think Phantom of the Opera is probably closer. Mm, yeah, that's a good
0: one. Five words. Well, I think it's five words, first and fourth letter, the words of the. I just went with Lord of the Rings. I know it's not Lord of the Rings, but it. It. that's the only one I can think of with that combination. It could be Phantom of the Opera. The Hobble, though. Yeah. Well, then again, does Phantom of the Opera Hobble? Doesn't
1: in the music. I mean, does <laughs> I, can't, I think he is slightly deformed, not as much as The Hunchback of Notre Dame, but I think Lloyd Webber did crib a little bit off that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a similar plot in some ways, you know, a creepy yeah. person living in a building in Paris. I wondered if it was Hunchback of Notre Dame, but then I realised that the fourth-left word is not there. Uh, but we don't
0: know, unfortunately, because Ben comes up with a solution. To take out the fuse wire for the power and switch it for the one with the lights. Blink, he's burnt his finger. And it's it, you know, and he's got that flat burn on his finger and then Bill just keeps saying, keep your finger in the water. You know, she's just having to mother him.
1: And yeah, got I mean, candles and everything. I do remember actually watching this as a child, having just come in from like St John ambulance preparation, and thinking that's not the right first aid. But of course, that's even more accurate because yeah. most families do not know first aid, and so it would just be, to oh, put your finger in the water, that'll do. Yeah, that's what I
0: was. Um, that's what I remember when I was younger. Saying, if you ever burn your hand, don't put it in, war- in cold water; that'll make it worse. Um, but you know, as you say, people don't always know these things. Um, and then there's a bit of a nice foreshadowing on Jenny House, what's next? Pull the roof off the house. It's nice of no know wants to come. Uh, it's freezing in the house, there's three degrees below and it's like, oh, they're all freezing. And then suddenly the ice cream van just got, <laughs> music is playing and feels like, anyone want one?
1: I do love that bit because the episode was originally aired like around September. And if you think about it, you do get those kind of weird days in September where it's like quite warm in the day and then it gets really cold at night. And you might still have the ice cream van going round. Yeah. It's uh, yes. well observed.
0: Yeah, it is actually. Because that's something that I've had recently when it was really cold. I was just like, mm, don't want ice cream right now. No, thank you. And I love it when um, they decide to turn the oven on to keep some, let some heat in. So David opens the freezer to get the ice cubes. Jenny thinks he's just going to put ice cubes to down their back um he says he won't so when she opens the tray the water splashes out onto her and and she went you knew he was gonna do that anyway no i was just gonna put ice cubes down your back you know it's it's, it's wonderful wonderful and then bill goes back to the living room says the night hasn't been as she hoped um and there's that hint that there's some you know ben's like what are you saying you know, and so she goes to phone rona and you know we've had a long i have to say the first two episodes a lot of time in uh, continuous scenes in the living room um over, yeah. over time uh, cutting so it and just get great actors and great writing to keep you engaged we go into rona's kitchen and bless him tony is the definition of knackered he is de- knackered as an as as it's as the meaning we all say well we're knackered no he is actually knackered but what i love and again we're saying this in the episodes um, when he and, and rona talk about the logistics of having a baby my dad mentioned you know she's the one wanting you know she's the one wanting the baby and he's kind of thinking about it more sort of logistically you know she's got all this energy it's like yeah yeah we can go again and he's just like I don't think I can you know he just
1: looks so tired he does he he looks really drained and the way this tiny scene is played tells you so much like you've got Tony is wearing Rona's dressing gown which is a lovely little detail and you can see it does very much reflect the biological reality between the different genders. You know, the woman has a faster recovery rate.
0: Yeah. Very true. And she, you know, the, the fact is he's, he's there on fertility cycles, special diets. Um, and then she's just asking questions like, so what, what, what's your underpants size that, so, you know, you could join it all squeezed together. So she says, oh, i have bought you these, these enormous
1: boxes, which look more like maternity pants for women. <laughs> I do wonder, again, if that's actually scientifically accurate. I have read contrary, but... I'm, I'm wondering as well, actually, because I also read... I also remember
0: someone saying years ago that temperature affects <laughs> whether you have a boy or girl. Because so I remember, I don't know why, but an art teacher mentioned that when David Beckham and Victoria Beckham wanted a girl, this was donkeys years ago now, he was wearing more loosely fitted pants to let the air go because if it's colder you're more likely to conceive a girl. I don't know if that's true. Just look at the
1: draw, it seems to me. Boy and girl, I think, is a bit more random than that. But certainly the total chance of conception is surprisingly finely tuned sometimes. Mm. When you consider that there are some people who, you know, first time ever, whoops, knocked up,
0: Mm.
1: and then you've got other people that try for ages, it's very strange how the genetic lottery works. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is a lot of, it's exactly it. Um, I like the bit where he
0: says, you know, do I wear them or camp out in them? Um, and then Tone, and I love Rona, the way she's, she just plays innocent. She's like, Tony, you said you'd do your best for me. You know, she's kind of being a bit more seductive and cheeky. And the bit that makes me laugh a lot is when she grabs the thermometer, like this giant thermometer. I had to find out what that was because when I think of a thermometer, I just think of the thing you put under your tongue when you're ill tiny little thing, but it's this giant thermometer, all the size of a giant clock, and you put it between your legs, I you don't want the temperature to drop, and seriously, when he sat with the thermometer sticking up between his legs, especially and especially when he stands up to pick the phone up, oh god, that looks phallic and very very
1: inappropriate. It's getting more risque, this show. Oh, definitely, and I think, I always assumed it was a barometer, but that's by the by, but certainly... One of the things that really gets me about that scene is when she gives him a little kiss, that is a couple kiss. It is. That is not a you-are-here-for-procreation kiss. No. And it is such a subtle thing. Blink and you'll miss it. And yet it hints into what will eventually become their relationship. And I love that of all the ways for Rona to get a man, she does it exactly the way Rona should get a man. It's brilliantly
0: done shag him to death basically not to death but 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 not far off and it's a little detail like when she gets the phone call off of off bill um and she's saying you know, get sticky tape big crone rigs strong twine medium-sized cane and a very strong magnet uh, big but shaped fit small hole another very filthy line and tony says oh I'll, I'll get them he's like you know a, he knows the house he knows where it all is and but he's gonna do it for her as you say it's not just i'm
1: there to knock you up basically there's also that to me reminded me of a lower low. It's a series of very random things. Mm. And then you get this innuendo line of I'll go upstairs and get them. Yeah. In the same way that a lower low would use like the flying helmet and the wet celery and the egg whisk. Yeah. Just because they picked objects at random that would be hilarious. It, it, there was a funny one in Greed in the next series five when
0: Tony's living with them, with Rona, and he's obviously DJ's got um, uh vinyls all over the place and she says he says where's cliff richard and tony went he's in the bath he's on the bathroom floor take that and i'm just like oh my god <laughs> it's so funny and so rona and bill meet in the street and i love when she says be casual and they and they do that casual walk that's so not casual it's pretty odd. it's like when you see a police fan in the car and you're just like that's just not even though you're doing nothing wrong just don't want to track attention basically what bill wanted this stuff for is to basically get the envelope out of the letterbox, which bill which rona mentions is legal but it is only um bill's um bill's letter envelope and someone walks past with a cute dog called prince and <laughs> at the time rona says let's do this before you attract attention bill holds up the cane up and the dog is attached to it a bit like um in babes in the wood when the dog is attached to the tree
1: branch christmas tree branch Just a really funny visual. That whole sequence is just beautifully funny. And out of context, it would be completely absurd. But the way the script is written, you're like, oh, this is just the natural progression of events. Of course that would happen next.
0: And Bill's just totally oblivious to it. But also like a great bit of getting the Grimeses in before the end. You've got Mrs Grimes looking outside, being the typical nose neighbour, going, Leonard, she's trying to hang a little dog in the street but the other ones topped her just in time. You know, she's just so typically nosy, and we all know someone like her. And then Leonard is the typical manager. I'm oh, just ignoring Dora. And then nice little Plant of the seed when she says, we've got no one to leave our cat with when we go away, which is in two episodes time.
1: Yeah, and, you know, she it's very interesting, actually, because this is the second episode where a member of the Porter family breaks into their house. Yes, Exactly. And clearly they have been neighbours for a long time. You kind of get that vibe. Like in the first episode where they break into the house, she's still got like 1960s roller blinds, which implies she's been there since the 60s. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those where they're,
0: they're very much of different eras and it's obvious. And Mrs Grimes today is very much in lockdown, would have been on the doorstep clapping for NHS every night and judging everyone not. She'd be snooping out with, with binoculars out the window Oh, Mrs. So- Mrs. Porter, Mrs. Harris from Over the Road. She's been out for non-essentials for a third time today and she'd be ratting everyone out to the police. She's, she's, she's a funny woman. Oh, she'd have loved lockdown. It oh, would have God. been her ideal. Yeah, she'd have kept busy. Bill's finally got the, the envelopes and then she goes back into the house and Jenny and David are sitting in the living room. Um, And then, as you said earlier, you know, they... Uh, she, Bill goes over to Rona's talk about getting a fuse wire, and then they mention that Rona's got different kind of fuses. But then Bill just goes the roundabout way. Well, you know, when I did the envelope and well, Rona remembers, so I'm just going to go down there now. She's obviously trying. And then David says, you know, we know what you've been doing. And you think, oh, and Jenny says, We you went to get a fuse wire for somewhere because we were being horrible. And then Bill doesn't even try and she's because they haven't been very nice, they've been they have been horrible to her. She's like, Yes, that's exactly right. And they all agree to spend the evening together. And they obviously begrudgingly do it, you know. So then Ben's in the loft to fetch some board games.
1: Yeah, but I think also there there is a part of them that realises they were in the wrong. Yeah. In that way you do when you're a kid. At some point you realise, oh, actually, no, parents had a point. Okay, we don't really want to admit that, but we're going to try and make it look like we're not conceding they were right. Yeah, that's it. And I think, um, as well, Jenny's the older one. So she's like,
0: we're going to spend the evening. Right. So she looks at David and she's like, yes, yeah, all right. So then Bill goes up to the loft. Ben's holding the roof up as he lost his balance and fell against the roof tire and it broke into two. And Bill's like, how did you do that? And then she eventually loses balance as well. The ropes are jammed um and in the live and so bill tries to get the attention of the kids so she's knocking on the the floor of the lot and in the living room Jenny says you know what are they doing and david says i'm probably having a quick snog or something else and he's creepy in the scene now i think what i love about david is he's obviously not you know he says oh, that's it all the time i listen to them it's just getting interesting he's just trying to discuss jenny
1: oh 100 percent. that is pure wind up yeah that is because- deliberately trying to see how far you can push your sister before she makes you stop Absolutely. And I said, oh, I can hear
0: them when I'm watching The Word. Now, this is the second time he's mentioned The Word, the late night Channel 4 show. Mentioned it in When the Children Sleep, When He Wakes, up, They Don't Want to Watch The Word. Late night, they've probably all gone to bed. The kids are up. They're hearing mum and dad are upstairs. Um, Bill's knocking then goes, yeah, see, there you go. And <laughs> it's just very funny. So they go out to the off-license to buy some chocolate. Ben can't move. Bill finally confesses what she did. And the way she's like, you, you can't move from there. And he's obviously getting really angry. And because he can't move, that's the only good thing, because he probably would have, I mean, he wouldn't hurt her. But, you know, he he can't not, let's put it like that. <laughs> can't now.
1: Uh, I love the line he has of, one more thing might have done it. And, of course, that foreshadows the fact that actually there is one more horrible thing of this nightmare evening to come. Yeah, You know, he stood there typical dad clothes you know the loud shirt and yeah. everything about it is very typical mm. like even you can tell that the writers knew these houses because a key part of this plot is that all the attics are joined yeah which in those victorian terrace houses was still pretty common i mean it comes up in i look this up the magician's nephew one of the lion the witch and the wardrobe series yes it's, Attics combining, and eventually people were made to sort of put walls up because giant fire risk. Of but obviously, between the grinders and the porters, they've both been there since before that was a regulation, so it's never been done. Absolutely, and and I actually, it's the first time I ever learnt of a um, what is it called
0: a, a trapdoor, the, the the trap the the, the trapdoor to the bedroom, because Matt, where I my house I grew up in. I think it's the 70s, was built in the 70s. It's definitely not before then, or not too far, I think, I'll have to ask my dad. But, I mean, it's not um, terrace houses, but the loft is so small, it's, like, tiny, you can't stand it. Whereas they're standing up, literally holding this up, this roof up. And so he he says he was going to go into the bedroom, and there's a, a torch on the bed that Bill says she's left there, and he's hovering over. When he turns the light on, he's he's literally, his hands are hovering over Mrs. Grimes' breasts, and it's just a really
1: funny image. She's just like this this cowering old lady. I love the way that Mrs. Grimes has absolutely no line in that scene. She only has her expression, and yet it's her scene 100%, just because of the sheer look of horror and fear in yeah. her face. And it's and then, of course, Ben is in that very awkward situation of, OK, that's definitely at least two crimes I've committed, breaking and entering and sexually assaulting my elderly neighbour. I'm just going to leave. Yeah. I love it when he and then he shouts, off. I'm
0: going home now to watch television for several hours and bless Bill. The last scene, and, and it goes over the credit slightly. It's just her holding the roof up, and she's just her eyes going like, "Is he going to leave me there?" He obviously didn't. He would I don't think he dare leave her up
1: there for long. Oh, absolutely not. I mean, you know perfectly well he is going to get out of the grounds of his house, get back into his, find something to prop the roof up with, and go up there get Bill. I mean, apart from the fact she's literally holding the roof up, you can't leave her there for very long. I mean okay, it's a slate roof, it's not that heavy, but still, if you've taken away the main support beam, it will still go. Yeah. And that is expensive to replace. Exactly.
0: And they've already got the kitchen going on, so they don't need the whole... And and they'll have a burn... Uh, well, they're going to have a, a lot more house problems that move in the future. Uh, yeah, so that ends family plot. And I think what's interesting about this one is that it's probably the least surreal episode in terms of there's not that much in it that's kind of typical 2.4 chill I mean there are moments I mean you've got the dog on the the, the, the cane you've got the idea of the roof cra- crashing in and bits like that but generally speaking it's a real character episode and that the intricacies in the, the chemistry is really the highlight point and it's beautifully written and beautifully acted.
1: Yeah, it's almost a bottle episode. You know, this term for episodes of shows where all the characters are permanently stuck in one room. It's not quite that, because we do have Bill leaving repeatedly. But it is very close to that in terms of style. And it works, because the cast are up to it. And also, we um, Andrew Marshall describes how the two
0: kinds of episodes. There's horizontal episodes and vertical episodes. Horizontal episodes are ones that are kind of important to the whole story arc, and vertical ones are things that you can, recurring ideas over the time. So funnily enough, with When the Children Are Sleep, I almost see that as a bo- potential bottle episode and also a two-hander. It's one of the f- closest we ever got to a two-hander, but it's about the Grimeses. Now, although it's not about the Grimeses, quite about the Grimeses specifically, they get involved and the porters sort of, their mistakes, affect their neighbours so they're just there unintentionally that's not what they will have imagined that would happen that night so it's a wonderful episode and out of
1: five stars what would you give it? I think it's got to be I'd say four and a half to five it is just yeah. a magnificent episode of a very good show. I'm going to give four and a half as well because I think for me
0: it's probably not my go-to episode, if I'm honest. I do like the kind of, the next one with the chain letters that I absolutely adore. It's my, That's my kind of sort of comedy. But as I get older, I realize just how well-written these are and, and seeing the characters, because I write as well, so I'm always learning as well watching this show. And it, it's just so beautifully written and the acting is fantastic. Thomas, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And you are down for Frenzy, and you only live twice.
1: Yes, excellent. Which is <laughs> I'm not to lie. Yeah. They are oh, they are amazing episodes, and you can still remember the first time you watched, and the cliffhanger. It got you. It oh, really got you. Absolutely.
0: It's it's and it's going to be some a lot to pick apart in those two parts. So we've got two more episodes after this. Next week will be the return of David from the 2.4 Children
1: Facebook page, who's been on before to speak about fortuosity.
0: Thomas, where can people find you
1: online? Uh, So my main Twitter handle is at Smudge Thomas. And I also, as I'm a local preacher, I podcast my sermons on Smudge's sermons. If you Google that, it will come up. Thank you very much. So
0: I'll see you in a couple of weeks. So we will record Frenzy and You Only Live Twice. Thank you to everyone listening today. Here's some advice. If your parents want you to spend some quality time together, just do it. Thomas said, it'll be a memory for the future. One night off Netflix, you'll be absolutely fine. Thank you very much for listening, everyone, and have a good week.